You know how it starts like boom, 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 and then the the beat drops more. Oh my muchkale, muchkale! Make a funny. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Nadeev. Welcome to my podcast. All right. Welcome, everybody. My name is Nadeev Molcho. Uh, welcome to the first episode of my brand new podcast, Jokes Aside. For those of you that know me, you are tuning in probably because you're expecting laughter, but this is a sad, sad TED Talk podcast. You got it. No, I'm kidding. Um, there will be serious things, but I see the humor in everything. Why? Because it's my defense mechanism and I can't deal with real shit. Um, all right. So for those of you that don't know me, I guess I should explain to you a little bit about who I am. Um, I am the youngest of four brothers to two wonderful Israeli parents. And I grew up in Vienna, Austria, of all places. Can you believe that? The Jews came back. Um, <laughs> basically, uh, which is ironic because I'm sitting in a studio in Berlin now. So I always thought I'd get, you know, get to Hollywood. Well, at least it's in that direction. But, you know, one more pit stop to where Hitler started it all. Um, so <laughs> I am an actor. I'm a comedian. And I started to have some really, believe it or not, deep, deep thoughts about many things. You know what? Cut that. Now, now I'm making it seem like I never have deep thoughts. I'm a very deep person. I really am. Um, my point is, why am I making this podcast? I am a very, very positive person. I think that those closest to me, my friends, my family, my fan, um, <laughs> they all, singular, they all know that I... I sort of live my life trying to find the light at the end of the tunnel always, always looking towards that positive learning lesson, the silver lining, the bright side of life. And interestingly enough, for the first time in my life, I really found myself to feel seriously sad and depressed for a certain period of time. You see, I'm even hesitating to say it because I used to almost judge people in my surroundings that said, oh, I'm so depressed. I have such depression. I have such this. And I thought to myself, you got a good family. You got good friends. Um, what do you have to be depressed about? And I finally found myself in that sunken shit hole. But I got myself out of it. And I think for anyone that's dealing with that, hopefully this podcast will help you get through certain things. Um, or, um, or, or at least you'll, 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 and I'm already fucking up the podcast. <laughs> I'm looking at my producer sitting in the corner, shaking his head like, oh my God, we've been through this. Cut it. Start over. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I think it's an important thing to talk about because I, Yes, I found myself in a place where I was genuinely unhappy. And there are so many things I can be happy about. God forbid I am a privileged person. And I absolutely understand that and appreciate that. But in my world, in my reality, a fucking wall hit me. Because everyone's dealing with COVID-19. Everyone deals with things on a daily basis. 
And I feel that in my industry, if every single arrow points in the right direction, already then it's a one in a million chance to really find yourself within this industry. And now I was at a position where I, everything was working out. I moved to LA. I have my visa. I got a manager. I even bought a fucking car, which at this point has graffiti all over it and a baseball bat probably <laughs> shattered through the windshield. And I will drive it proudly when I'm back. Because, uh, you know, there's only so much bar mitzvah money that you have left to spend on the fixing of the life stuff. Um, but yeah, I guess I was suddenly hit with this, this virus like everyone and had to make a quick decision. Hey, I'm going to go back to Europe, back to my family, back to my bubble. Um, but I don't know how to move forward. And I don't know how to be funny in a time that is so unfunny. So why am I making this podcast? I think I am really slowly finding my own voice um, as a person, as a comedian, I've been reflecting a lot recently. I've been spending a lot of weeks in Berlin where the stand-up scene is up and coming again. Um, and, uh, and I've just been spending a lot of time bored by myself with myself. And not to get too deep too quickly, but this amazing um, Israeli professor, Yuval Noah Harari, talks about the importance of boredom. And I listen to that and I'm really putting it into practice. And uh, listen, I got a big nose. So boredom starts off with me finding deep, deep, deep boogers up in there. And, you know, have you ever been in a situation where you're in a room and you, you have a booger in your hand? <laughs> you don't know what to do. So you crumple it up into like a million pieces and you think to yourself, maybe if I disperse it, maybe if I throw it little bits and pieces across the whole room, nobody will notice and not even I will notice. You know, you know, just don't, the, the worst thing is when you throw a huge chunky booger on the floor and you know it's there. And then you're like, am I this guy? Am I, literally, am I the person that now knows that in my living room there's a booger on the left side of the TV? No, you got to sprinkle it. Anyway, I digress. Boredom started there and now it's just really me uh, getting to know myself better and, and being open and honest with the stuff that I struggle with and that I don't always have to be this super positive person and it's okay to feel shit and it's okay to feel sad. Even if you know life is good, it's okay to feel like shit. And step one is admitting that to yourself. And throughout it, now I'm doing a lot more stand-up comedy. I'm getting to know myself more and finding the humor uh, within my own suffering. Um, and I am just going to take you on this journey along the way as an up-and-coming comedian, as an artist, as an actor, as a person, as a Jew... Um, and, uh, and of course I'll have many interesting guests on here. It starts off with my parents. You know, my dad was a famous mime, which is, I guess, a dying art form at the moment. Um, but he has an incredibly interesting story and perspective on life with strong principles. And my mother, who is an incredible, wonderful human being who started properly working for the first time at the age of 50 and within 10 years has now expanded to an incredible hummus empire along with my three um, amazing, intelligent, hilarious brothers. And, um, and of course, I'll have my parents on here. They have an amazing perspective on life. I'll have my brothers just so that they can, you know, shit on me in public. But you know what they say, good luck when someone shits on your head. Um, and, uh, and you'll meet really interesting people. I'll bring actors, directors. I'll talk about things that I'm interested in, not only in my industry and my world, but, but generally uh, observations I'm making on the world and, and people that are, have more knowledge on certain topics. And 
you know, we'll just shoot the shit and talk and talk and talk. And um, maybe we'll have some answers in here. But generally, I would love it if you guys are interested. Send me feedback. You know, talk to me about the podcast. Talk to me about your problems. This is not a TED Talk. And I promise you it will be funny. Funnier than the last seven minutes and 40 seconds. But this is a good segue to tell you that each episode, I'm going to start off with a two-minute comedy set. Why two minutes? Because that's how long I lasted the first time. Nah, I'm just joking. Um, first time I was in LA, they gave me two minutes on stage at the Laugh Factory. And I came in there naive but overconfident because I had just finished my second one-hour special in Austria. <laughs> and I come there and I'm like... So when am I uh, going to perform here? And you think it's possible to do it the same night that Dave Chappelle is performing? And they're like, hi, um, so just get the fuck back there. You see this line that goes around the whole Laugh Factory? Yeah, you see that clown with the big red shoes and the wig? Yeah, and you see the homeless lady with the boombox? Yeah, yeah, you're just behind her, okay? You're going to wait in line in the scorching sun for four hours. Then you're going to pay 10 bucks to get 120 seconds on one of the dirtiest stages in the world. <laughs> And so my journey began. First two minutes. So as you guys already know, I grew up with a big family, you know, I'm the youngest of four brothers. And so naturally, I always wanted to join in on all their activities. I was born last. Um, and it was interesting because they were so active and they had so many cool after-school activities that I just wanted to be a part of. My favorite of them, bath time session. It was four naked boys sharing a medium-sized bathtub. <laughs> and, um, yeah, for the fact that I started my childhood naked and my parents were semi-nudist, I am awfully, awfully insecure about my, uh, my Shlomo Schnitelbutz uh, down there. <laughs> so I remember joining this gang of misfits in the bathtub but I also felt like fuck man I think I I think I joined a little too late because by the time I was in there my oldest brother was just a little too old you know it started to get real awkward so what you need to understand is we had a committee you know uh, board members four of us three people had to make a decision and we there was one CEO he can veto things my second brother Elon is a CEO he's a numbers guy <laughs> he just has a logical head and so we were in this bathtub and we we're all talking like, yo, man, I don't know. I don't know if our oldest brother, Nuriel, is maybe too old to join us today, you know? And I'm like, I don't know. I still feel like I have so much to learn from him. And, you know, there's only so many times I saw his naked body. I feel I didn't look the first few times, you know, out of respect. I only wanted to look once or twice. You ever know this when you're in the toilet uh, in like one of these pissoir <laughs> things? I think the general rule is you're allowed to glance one time. Just non-awkward, just a... Just a quick glance, like, so, sorry, just wanted to see. Because one thing you need to understand, like, we Jewish people, we're very sexual. But at the same time, it's a head thing. You know, we overthink. So when it gets down to business, to brass tacks, we often don't know what the hell we're doing down there, okay? So for me, I have a, I'm not afraid to say it. I've got a small uh, penis. Well, that's not true. For a Jew, I have a huge penis. At least in my synagogue, I have the second biggest penis, okay? That's just a fact. Because, you know, because I look, I look. Um, so I'm in this bathtub and then Nuriel, our oldest brother, walks up and we voted him out. And he goes, doof, 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 doof. Takes these big steps. The camera sort of, I see it all like a movie. I look down, I glance up, he has hair on his legs. And suddenly I'm like, Jesus Lord, what is that? His small Jewish innocent penis has turned into a full-size cock. It is a grown man's penis. 
He reminded me of like a 40-year-old Serbian man. He had a thick, bushy mustache right above his pubics. And he looks at us with concern and we're like, Nuriel, you know, hate to break it to you. We gotta cut you, man. You're too old to be in the bath with us. For me, I'm the youngest. I'm the most emotional. I didn't know how to tell him. He's like, Nadeem, man, is this true? And I'm like, don't look at me. I'm a coward. And Elon voted him out. And he looks at me and Nuriel says, and I'll never forget, just remember one thing, motherfucker. There's always going to be a bigger dick. Well, uh, never forget. So there's my two minutes. <laughs> Is there a manager or an agent in the audience that I get? No, just the, okay. Well, the clown, did you like the set? Okay, you're not listening. Um, so <laughs> now let's get into the deep shit. Mm. One thing I want to talk about is how this whole thing started. Uh, I knew at the age of seven years old that I wanted to be an entertainer. My father, who is an artist, um, as I mentioned before, uh, before a mime artist, and he was an acting professor. Now he's a body language guru. He always had artists around the house. We grew up with many actors in the house and singers and dancers. So I'll never forget the first play I ever directed. I was seven years old and I wrote it, directed it, starred in it. It was about a gay, older, blind man being chaperoned by a younger man. I played the gay, old, blind man. You think I was heading for uh, Oscar season already at that age? <laughs> I'm like, there's only so much missing. Um, and oh yeah, did I mention he was Jewish? Is that still a minority? No one knows. I think it depends where you are. <laughs> Uh, I can tell you in my Unterhosen, it's a minority. Okay, um, so I just saw the reaction of the audience and I just loved and I fell in love with the smiles of the audience. They were laughing, they were smiling, they were showing joy, which is ironic because it was a heavy drama, actually. I don't think I wrote it correctly, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not joking. <laughs> They're like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm not joking. Um, so, um, I expected tears and I got laughter and maybe I got tears of joy. And, um, the two things are very close to each other. This is why I say my favorite movies, you know, I love Goodfellas and I love John Cassavetti's movies, but really you watch a movie like Forgetting Sarah Marshall or Crazy Stupid Love. And those are ultimately my favorite movies. Why? Because if you can laugh with someone, you can cry with someone, you know, it's, um, it's who I like to, uh, it's kind of how I consider myself in, in real life. You know why? Because I make people laugh and then I cry myself to sleep every night. hey oh! So then I turned 10 years old and my mother, this was the beginning of the end. My mother woke me up and she said, Nadiv, they are filming a movie near Vienna, you know, where I grew up. It's a big Hollywood production and it's about a World War II movie. Um, it's, a, it's a World War II miniseries, actually. It's NBC, Warner Brothers. And a casting director sort of uh, came across us and wanted to see if you were interested in auditioning because there's a part that would be perfect for a young Jewish boy. You know what the, the hilarious thing was? <laughs> I had my, one of my best friends at the time who was from Uruguay, was sleeping over. And I, I was a 10-year-old boy, but looked like a baby Prometheus, just like confused, tired, Tired under the eyes. And you know what? Honestly, I looked like a baby deer that just got born seconds ago. Just popping out of a slimy placenta, slipping all over the place, confused, like looking for his mama, like Bambi. Just, mama? Mama, can you hear me? And, and, and just, just, just stumbling and stumbling and, and 
I don't know, you know, I was, uh, I was confused. And, 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 and yes, I'm stuttering because now I'm afraid, afraid, afraid of the dear community. <laughs> They're going to come and get me. Don't come and get me. I love a baby deer and I love Prometheus. I support all aliens. Hmm. Anyway, um, he also wanted to audition. <laughs> this Uruguay guy was like, oh, my God, are you talking about an audition for a movie? I would love to audition for a movie. And my mother's like, yes, um, you just have to ask your mom, but, you know, it's a, it's a 10-year-old Jewish boy in the Holocaust. And this guy was like, even at age 10, this guy was a, a six foot five, a ginormous Uruguayan polo player. He's like, are you kidding me? I can uh, transform into the role, you know? I can, I can be scared. <gasps> I can laugh. You know what I mean? Um, you know, he didn't get the role, but I always appreciated the effort that he put into it. Um, and uh, and I, I, God knows what happened. I went in there. And I auditioned. I didn't even know what an audition was. The director, John Avnet, told me um, that all I have to do is sort of pretend to steal two tomatoes. Okay? How do you steal two, two tomatoes without getting caught? Um, I did it. And I don't know what happened. I blinked and I got the role. And three weeks later, I was in Bratislava for four and a half months shooting a Hollywood movie with actors like Donald Sutherland, John Voight, Hank Azaria, David Schwimmer from Friends, um, I'm sorry, should I say David Trimmer from OJ Show? Probably not. Why? Because Ross is just still, you know, he's great. Don't fight it. Don't fight it. Um, and it was the most important lesson of my life because I, my parents were so generous and they said, you know, Nadeev, the only reason we're letting you do this is because we know how passionate you are about this. But also because of the subject of the movie, you'll learn more on set than, I don't know, coloring in a dolphin in school that month. Um, and the reason I'm telling you guys this story, um, is because I started my journey so young and I'm so grateful for having known exactly what I wanted to achieve in my life already since the age of 10. But my God were my, you know what it is? I I was just about to say my expectations were so big at an early age. They weren't even expectations because I knew exactly not only what I wanted to do, but what I was going to do. And I think even the actors on set, they were all older, noticed like, um, should we stop him? Because I think he's serious about acting. And uh, does he know how difficult he is, the challenges? And my parents were obviously supportive. But once you turn, I don't know, 13 and you become a man because you have a bar mitzvah and you still have that same dream, the, the worry starts to kick in. They're like... Does he really want to be an actor? Because someone should tell him that, um, you know, Jews are better as lawyers, as doctors, as things. Actually, I'll have my parents on. I'm, I'm not a, a parent yet, um, but I will have my parents on and ask them how secretly nervous they are that I'm 30 years old now and still have this same vision and same dream. And I'm talking as if I'm like the most, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, wise guy ever. I'm like, you're just never going to give up. You just got to fight for what you want. People are like, but you didn't make it. <laughs> I'm like, but my, my girlfriend earns the cash and uh, she supports, she's the bread maker. Um, and uh, is that what they say, bread maker? I think when you're an actor, you just don't even have that sentence in your head. I'm like, uh, I'll have a bagel, okay, at the most. Um, and uh, $1 coffee, which will make me shit on my pants after. Um, so, yeah, I, I learned so much, but I also, all I was doing was... I almost wanted to skip my childhood and just go right to business. Um, And that was really dangerous because the friends that I made on that movie set, I had thought 
oh boy, when I turn a certain age, they are going to make my career happen. They're going to get me an agent, a manager. They're going to get me movie roles. They're going to get me... I mean, I'm at this point, I'm like, get me anything. Is there a porno I can be involved in? You know, you can uh, just use my face. You know, I've got a porno type of a face, you know. You got a softcore porno. You know, I can do it. I can be an Italian in the porno. I can be, um, you know, I'll be a fluffer at this point. You know what I mean? You know what a fluffer is? My producer is shaking his head. All he wants to do is leave the room, but it'll be too loud because the door squeaks. So he's <laughs> sitting through it. <laughs> Um, so basically this is sort of, um, the way that I grew up was so weirdly unique because I'm going to start with Schwimmer. He was in the movie and my family met his family and we somehow became close friends. And from the ages of 10 to 14, I would spend anywhere between two weeks and a month every year on the set of Friends. And he sort of mentored me throughout the whole way, which is like crazy to think, you know, I got to hang out with all these people, whether it was Jennifer Aniston, Lisa Kudrow, all these amazing, Matt LeBlanc was the nicest guy ever. And every day I got to see them work. I got to shadow them. I, and, and all I was used to was this level of success. All I saw was these six gang members that were having the time of their life, getting paid a fuck ton, laughing their ass off, having such a collaborative ensemble experience. And of course, like you get infected by this when you're young. And I think to myself, I don't care what any career counselor is going to tell me. This is what I want to do with my life. This is exactly what I want to do. And as soon as I turn 18, I'm going to be doing it. And then suddenly you're hit with a bang when everyone you counted on shuts you down. And I don't know who else out there has been ghosted before, but that shit hurts real deep. I mean, that is a, a real thing. Um, and I don't know if I've ever ghosted someone, if I have tremendously sorry, and please follow up with me because it hurts and it sucks. And I think the danger with setting such high goals at such a young age is that you are likely going to be disappointed. And my dad always says, you know, don't go into certain situations with an expectation, have confidence, know your worth, know your values, know what you're good at. But if you expect something, you're immediately setting yourself up for failure and disappointment. So rather... Go in with your own confidence and your own goals in mind, but don't expect anything. And if something comes along the way, it's just an amazing added bonus, you know? Um, and uh, it's kind of like how I treat sex. Okay, I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to tell you about how I lost my virginity. Sadly, most of you know it anyway, but um, I went in there with so much confidence and I left there. <laughs> I can't even explain it to you. I was um, nicht gut, as they say in German. <laughs> I went in there and I think the, the, the girl, the poor girl, thought that I was the most experienced uh, fuck boy out there. And I went in there with a, this horribly ugly green shirt from Abercrombie & Fitch and an Abercrombie perfume and an awkward Jufro. Um, and I went in and she was like, all right, boy, go on and do your stuff. I'm like, what, 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 what stuff is that exactly? And <laughs> I, um, uh, you know, I don't know. I always imagine myself losing my virginity, like staring deep into my lover's eyes and breathing together, you know, motion of the ocean. And you smile and you come together and you're just like, is that okay, baby? Is it's okay? You feel good? And really like so emotional and crying and then using the tear as a form of 
natural lubrication because it's, you know, it's what God wanted from us. And meanwhile, this girl was like, all right, boy. And she goes doggy style. And she's like, go on and do your stuff. I don't know why I'm making her sound like an, uh, a dodgy Texas man <laughs> because uh, it's kind of how it felt like. Um, for some reason, from all those shitty pornos uh, that I was used to watching, um, I thought that when you're having sex doggy style, you stand up. And I was on this twin-size bed in her dorm room with leopard print sheets and Twilight was playing on the TV. That's right. That's how recent my sex life was. Twilight was on the TV and I, she flipped over and, and was like, go on, do your stuff. And I'm like, okay, sir, um, Comet, beautiful Adam's apple, by the way. Um, and I just like suddenly stood up like a, like an old quivering dog. Like, you know, when you're like, when you see a deer giving birth and the baby deer just like slips all over the place, that's kind of how I was. I'm like, where am I going? Why am I moving? She's like, where are you going? And I'm like, I'm so sorry. And she's like, why don't I start you off with a little Blue Jay. Um, and that was probably the most humiliating time of my life. It was as if she was sucking on a penna al dente, like as if you ripped the shell off of a snail's back and was exposed to sunlight, as if you touched the antennae of a fucking slug or a snail and it just like went back into its shell. And uh, yeah, you know, Jewish penises, they need a home to grow. You know, they need to feel safe. And the worst thing you can do to a nervous Jewish paranoid boy is switch positions at his first time having sex. Because <laughs> right after missionary, she's like, go on, boy, and put it in from the back. And I was like, uh, okay. And then she's like, let me just get some water. And I'm like, um, okay, just, uh, okay, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, my penis, it's exposed to too much oxygen, you know, uh, O2, no, no good oh for my, um, for my penis, because once it's out in the open too long, it crawls back into the shell, and then the balls get lower, and the falafel start reminding yourself of a falafel, and then I start thinking about food, and the food turns into sauce, and sauce turns into curry chutney, and suddenly I reminded myself that people used to call me Naveed instead of Nadiv, and then I start thinking, am I looking more like Indian? Should I go for Indian? Indian acting roles and then I auditioned for an Indian role and then I'm like now I'm being racist now people are calling me racist but I'm like but there's not even Indians that get the role why don't we just show representation and then God knows what the fuck either way I did not finish if that's what you're wondering where was I I'm just gonna take a sip of tea here and regret half the things I just told you that sip of cold tea was more satisfied than that poor girl would ever be from having sex with me Um, what was I talking about? I think I was talking about expectations. <laughs> you know, that's true. Expectation versus reality. That was a big expectation. I was like, oh man, oh man, am I going to satisfy that boy? Sorry, that girl. Um, and I, <laughs> I, I didn't. But, uh, you know, I was, uh, I, I, I survived all my troubles. And na, 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 na. I think that's ultimately all you can hope for these days is like, I got through it. <laughs> That's an expectation you can have. Let me just get through the shit. You know, you want to see the rainbow, you got to deal with some rain. Um, wasn't so much rain I was dealing with. It was uh, my teardrops uh, <laughs> doing right onto my penis, <laughs> making it get a little hydrated like a Jerusalem flower in the desert, but then going crawling. Okay, enough about my penis. Because give it a rest. I'm happy with it. So yeah, my mother... Um, <laughs> I think that she is probably more concerned about this podcast at this point. She's like, wasn't it a health and 
meditational type of podcasts. Um, but yeah, you know, I think the movie star idea is less worrisome for her. Because she's like, you got a chance there. But the podcast, give it, give it up. Give it up. Uh, no, I love her so much. <laughs> Mama. So I think that I was so <laughs> spoiled with my idea of what it means to make it by hanging around all these six friends. And then as soon as I was of age, none of the help came my way. And I learned so much about myself in recent years. It's like, do I demand too much? Was I annoying? Did I follow up with 10 emails too many? You know, never good when you're sending someone WhatsApp or iMessage. And it's like, the, you know, the blue to gray ratio is not good. You know, it's like, hey, celebrity friends, hit me up with another gray SMS iMessage every once in a while, you know? Hey, don't think I don't see those blue WhatsApp ticks. I see you. What is that? Red on Instagram? <laughs> okay. Hey, it's me again. All right. So I think that, uh, I think the older you get, you just start realizing, fuck it, man. You can't rely on people. And I used to be so negative about that. And I used to say, I'm going to show them. I'm going to prove them wrong. But that was the wrong attitude because now I'm just like, you know what? Set my own goals, set my own expectations, um, and try to enjoy the process along the way. My brother Elon actually taught me that. It reminded me of that. It's like, you have these big goals, but you know, once you achieve that, you're going to want something else. And when are you ever satisfied? So you need to, and this is like fuck acting and comedy. And this is with any job. I feel if you don't enjoy the process along the way, sure. You can have shitty days. You can have hard work hours. You can have moments where you're not earning. I mean, like, again, I'm talking from a privileged position, but in the end of the day, not really, because you should just really do what you love or at least have hobbies that you love to do, because otherwise, what the hell is the point of all this? And what are you going to teach your kids? You know, uh, don't switch positions on your first time having sex and don't uh, do what you love. You know, I think that's the wrong attitude. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and I guess what I'm trying to say is, on the one hand, I was raised in a household where really our slogan was to infinity and beyond, to infinity and beyond. Because everything is possible and no goal or no dream is too high, um, which is amazing because it's not so much result orientated, right? We're not result driven. It's more, where, what am I finding out about myself? What am I chasing throughout the, way, the journey? And in school, it was more important to have an A for effort than a you know, perfect score on an exam. Um, and that naivete actually... I think is the reason why I'm still doing what I'm doing today. I really am as hard as it is, as much as my entire world and the work that I want to go into is shut down right now because of COVID. And all I'm trying to do is find the light at the end of the tunnel and make people laugh and go on Instagram live and try to find an audience out there and, and bring a smile to someone's face. But you just realize like, my God, you know, it, it, it gets harder along the way, but you cannot forget the reason why you wanted to do this in the first place. And that boils down to purpose, right? Because I know many friends, uh, many, many, many people that are dear and close to my heart are so result orientated and they have this expectation to succeed. And if I don't get a perfect score, I'm not good enough. If I don't get into the perfect college, I'm never going to get the job that I want. And to a certain degree, of course, I understand that. And again, I'm talking from a 
maybe a more financially privileged background. I understand that. I'll get into that in another episode, actually. Um, the ups and the downs of that, advantages and disadvantages of having a safety net. And that that's just what it is. Like, if you have a plan B, everyone knows this sentence. It's like, you don't believe in your plan A enough. And I actually mean that. It's like, your plan A doesn't mean that you have to be on a stage holding an Oscar or a Nobel Peace Prize or a $10 million in your hand or, uh, you know, it's like, what in your heart of hearts is driving you forward and your purpose changes. I think that's what a career should be. That's what a passion is. It's when your passion affect positively affects other people, right? That is what a purpose is. The older you get, when you have a partner, you fall in love, you have children, all that stuff is your purpose deepens. Um, and I think that's just what it is. And I'm grateful for the the way I grew up. But also it's a struggle when you know, oh my God, like all I knew and all I've been taught is you can achieve anything. And then what happens when you don't achieve that? But all I'm telling you is from my perspective is I think that's the decision. That's the, that's the route you should take because at least you're staying true to your, yourself and you're not going to lie on your deathbed with a hundred thousand regrets, you know? Um, oh, other than the first 40 minutes of this podcast, that'll be a deep regret. Deep regret on the deathbed. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, an example of, of, of to infinity and beyond, like my, let's say, you know, we were, we were, we took a, a vacation in Turkey years ago and we were traveling with another family and I was water skiing and wakeboarding and I would fall on my, literally I, I put on water. This is my family. My mother bought me the best water skis. I had the best gear. I had like an underwater breathing apparatus, like attached to my back. I had a scuba suit. I had like, God knows what I had flippers that were like straight off of a fucking, God knows, like dolphin skin. No, it wasn't. No, now I'm going to need to raise money for dolphins in the next episode. Um, and the boat took me and I held on to this rope and my water skis were underwater. And I swear to God, my entire body and face and partly my nose was underwater. <laughs> and I was just like getting pulled underwater. At some point, I was like, fish were going into my mouth. I was, yeah, I was, uh, I was, I was eating. I was eating not kosher. Um, and my mother's like, bravo, you're amazing, you're a superstar, A for effort. And then the other kid that we were traveling with was amazing. He was like going slalom and like jumping in and out. I think he did like a backflip and then he fell after 15 minutes. I was already bored on that ship, on the boat ship. Like as if, uh, <laughs> you know, we're well off, but we're not riding the Titanic. Um, and then his father was like, so disappointed and so ashamed. You have to do better next time. You have to achieve more. And that's so often what I'm confronted with when people ask me like, wow, you're still doing what you're doing, but you're 30. And I'm like, I know, but at least I'm still going for it, guys. I'm putting in the work. Um, and yeah, so God bless my supportive parents, but also, you know, I don't know. Should a parent steer a child away from a near impossible dream like becoming a movie star? And if so, at what age? Um, I think 35 is a good cutoff point. You know, I think 35 internationally seen is a good age to be like, hey, 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 remember life. Uh, do it. You should start, you know, because um, there's only so much hummus you can steal from my fridge. <laughs> You're making everyone uncomfortable. Um. So basically, I think that the good thing is everything I wanted to talk about, I didn't talk about. Um, so that's always a good thing. I have an explosive headache right now. And uh, the posture, I wish you could see me, is, um, is not the, it's nicht gut. My father would see me now. He'd be like, pull your spine up, pull your shit together, pull the plug on the podcast. <laughs> um, I have a family tradition that I think is beautiful. 
which is whenever we celebrate a birthday, we say something nice and appreciative about the birthday person. And because we have a big family, we boiled it down to three things you're grateful for about this person. I do want to end each episode with three things that you're grateful for. When I'm alone, I'll talk about, I guess, I'll, I'll aim it towards myself. And when I have guests, I'll, I'll aim it towards them. And I think that's just a beautiful way of, of, of ending the podcast because, again, not that I'm running away from the shit and I use humor to, <laughs> as a shield, um, I am always a believer in a happy ending, and I think it's good to end on a positive note. So since I'm alone here, I'm sitting in one of the dodgiest areas of Berlin, and I'm freaking out already. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I'm not. Oh, my God, my producer. Look how I ignore. <laughs> I think I looked. Uh, <laughs> he's, not, he's getting up. He's going to leave now. <laughs> I ignored the fact. I make fun of him, and he's standing now, and uh, now I'm worried why is he standing, and does he want me to end it? You know, David, maybe I'll talk about you, you know? Um, I can tell you three things that I'm appreciative of, even though secretly between us, I would have preferred to talk about myself. Yeah, but it's okay. I will talk to the 10 year old version of myself later. Maybe he's anyway listening into this being like, um, Hey, 30 year old version, what are you doing? And why are you, what is this like pathetic excuse of a microphone attached to your half cracked iPhone there? Get a setup at least. Um, David, three things I appreciate about you. A, I don't think I would have pushed myself hard enough to start this podcast. Um, and also for those of you listening, why am I even doing this podcast? I think it's exactly the perfect time in my life when I was going through an emotional struggle. Um, and I know I didn't get touch on that. It's hard doing a first episode. It's like starting a stand-up set. You don't know where to begin. Um, I will get into that and I will talk you through the the tough, the sort of the darkness that I have recently seen and how I got myself through or how I'm actively getting myself through it. But David, if it weren't for you, I don't know what I would have done because I really, really talk about expectations, thought that for the first time when Nadiv goes through the shit and really openly admits it and isn't the sunshine person of put a smile on and see the, the positive side of things, I think I was just scared to see how little people were actually willing to take the time and effort to be there for me the way that I needed it. And I hope that doesn't come across as unfair because as important a lesson it was for me to learn to really be there for myself, which I think is extremely valuable, it's another thing to reach out to people in need and have this fear that, oh no, I think that they're so subdued by their own issues or, or situations um, and timeline that they don't know how to be there for you. I think the key here is to actively be okay and be vulnerable enough to take that step forward and not just have this expectation, everyone needs to be there for me when shit hits the fan, but rather actively go out of your way to say, hey, I need you here. And for me, a learning lesson was trying not to judge the people that weren't able to be there, but rather take from people what I need at that time. And, and, and for the rest, hopefully their time will come, you know. And as I say this, of course, I'm thinking out loud, you know, with certain principles, with certain basics in friendships and in relationships, it's actually okay to have a fundamental expectation. Um, but that's, you know, challenging in many ways for 
for for a variety of reasons, depending on where you are in your life. But hopefully, I guess the key here is to continuously try to work on yourself enough for you to be able to be there for those that need you in your close circle. And all that being said, I'm actually, <laughs> believe it or not, aiming this towards you because you managed to to really fully take me under your wing when you noticed that I needed some 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 support. And I was in a place where I really felt that I was ready to fly, and yet there was just no wind under my wings. And you, my friend, blew me. I mean, you, my friend, blew, blew wind under my wings to help me fly. You were fully there for, you, for, 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 for me. So here's something that my father taught me, okay? He calls it the Gurke complex, okay? It's when, for example, an interviewer asks you, so tell me, are those rumors about you true? And you're like, rumors? <laughs> rumors, I mean, do you remember the movie Rumor Has It? What was that, Jennifer Aniston? I remember Jennifer Aniston. She was, you know, she was on Friends and, and she always told me she'll be there for me, <laughs> you know, because of the song, I'll be there for you. <laughs> and when the rain starts to pour, dum da 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 dum 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 da dum da Anyway, I love singing. And recently I bought my friend a karaoke a home kit for Secret Santa. Um, yeah, even though my Christmas invite didn't come from her. But uh, yeah. See what I mean? Whatever is directed at you, the Gurke complex, the Gurken complex is what politicians do so well, is you maneuver your way around, okay? And you somehow twist and turn those words and make it your own and sort of just end up talking about what you want to talk about. So as much as this is about you, David, and my appreciation for you, all right, get one thing straight, this is still about me. Jokes aside by Nadiv Malcho, okay? Don't look at me like that. I know you're disappointed, but David, it's my time to shine. All right, back to you. All I want to say is it's also, it was a wake-up call and you were a big part of that because you sort of put a spotlight on me and said, hey, wait a minute, you have a chance here to not expect again for other people to be there for you and, and take from people what they can give you when they can give it to you. But here's a chance for you to actually spend time by yourself. And I spoke a little bit about boredom earlier, how important it is. But it's like really reflect internally and take this as an opportunity to learn more about yourself. And what are you actually afraid of? And, and how can you help yourself through this? And you are the one that says, you're worrying about LA. You're worrying about the fact that you're not there right now and all you wanted to do is be there. But you're not there right now. Face reality. Face your fears. You're here and don't, you know, like wallow in depression here. Um, do it. Stay in the sad feeling, but use it to your advantage. Get to know yourself and at least pick up a fucking microphone, get on that stage and talk people through it. And that's what I want to do with this podcast. It's my form of therapy for myself. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> arrogantly. It's all, I should call this podcast a for myself. Uh, but jokes aside, I, oh, that was a good plug. And it happened so unauthentically. I knew it. It was on the paper the whole time. I knew I was going to do it exactly in that sense. Um, you were the one that said, Nadiv, do it. Talk yourself through it. Talk an audience through it. And use this as an opportunity to work on the things you're not good at, um, like podcasts. <laughs> and I honestly thank you for that. Because if it weren't for you, I don't think... As brave as I am sometimes with the moves that I make, I wouldn't have been ready or I wouldn't have thought I was ready to do this, to take this step. 
you pushed me towards it. You are so generous in your time. Last month when I was in Berlin, you came to every single stand-up show. And for a paranoid Jew yourself, the fact that there's corona all over the place, <laughs> um, I really do appreciate it. Um, and, um, and I know that that wasn't easy for you. And I know that you being paranoid and thinking too much about the virus probably made you get the virus. I don't know if you ever talked to me about that. I know, I know you probably didn't have the virus, but now that you're thinking about it, it's starting to grow along with some gray hairs. Um, but um, thank you. Thank you for, for being a very important guide in this part of my, my journey. And, um, and I feel like this is the beginning of a wonderful relationship, both personally, privately, but also work-wise. And you are making me face my demons, which aren't so scary after all. And at the end of the day, as much as I can look at my demons in the face, ultimately, I'll always see a part of my nose, even when I'm looking straight forward. So David, I love you. I appreciate you. And know that what you do really helps people and gets people through situations. Thank you for your time. And, um, and uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe pay me one day for this stuff. Okay, great. Um, that was it, guys. I hope you enjoyed the first episode of Jokes Aside. I am going to be back with more episodes talking about more nonsense and also more hopefully interesting things. Um, yeah, I was going to say be kind to one another, but I'm like, Ellen said that and I don't know what the fuck is going on. So what do I, what about, uh, be kind if you sh- can be kind, but also if you're mean, then okay, maybe mean sometimes, but also like take it back and apologize for being mean, but also just grow and move forward. Um, okay. I love everybody and keep loving everybody too. Ciao.